Good morning. Um, my name is Louis de Silva. I am the CEO of South Hearts Potash, uh, AFX listed, uh, with a world-class project operating in Germany in the heart of uh, what was East Germany in Thuringia. Louis, thanks for the introduction. Good to see you again. Uh, it's the first time I've spoken to you for Crux on this platform, but uh, obviously we've known each other for years. We've bashed around Africa together and many other parts of the world. Can you t provide a little bit of background for the viewers? Because this is your first time as CEO. You joined five months ago, um, just over five months ago, your first time on Crux as CEO. Could you give the viewers a little bit about your background, please, and how you came to um, South Hearts? Thanks. Uh, good to see you, Merlin. And um, I think, um... My, I don't have a atypical sort of background, but certainly the last uh, 15 years, uh, I've been less of a mining engineer and more of a corporate, um, uh, adding value to shareholders from the corporate side. Um, having operated in Africa, as you mentioned, uh, and created, I think, a great deal of value for, the, for our shareholders, uh, either through um, partnerships or M&A. Um, I then, 2013, ended up in the agricultural sector almost uh, in a phosphate company. And I really, what I find uh, impressive about that space are the people, the, the caliber of people, the knowledge. And so uh, 12 months ago, there was a process that began, um, there were thereabouts 12 months, a process began for South Parks, uh, looking for leadership for the next level um, as the company was about to um, deliver a, a scoping study and subsequently uh, looking at how do we take the project from concept scoping study to uh, a full feasibility and ultimately to developing the project. So that's how I got involved. Um, I, I, I loved the, the space and I think the, um, the opportunity uh, as it'll transpire is a huge one because a lot of the risk box is already ticked for South Hearts. So a lot of the risk boxes ticked, are ticked in the sense that uh, you've already you, the company published a scoping study in the summer of last year. There's a um, I think it was August last year that it came out, um, and you joined in in November. Could you just summarise just kind of very briefly the kind of the state of the project, uh, just kind of recap the kind of the key uh, the key aspects of it? Yeah, look, I think you know the way to look about at, at this project because there is such deep history in Germany. It's where we're, we're operating where the potash industry has originated from. It is the cradle of potash. Uh, as our um, resident uh, country director says, it is very much, there is so much history, well over a hundred years of potash experience. And Ungeberg, um, which is our flagship project, so we, we have 5.3 billion tons. So we have enormous scale and potential. But our flagship project of Ankerberger would have been the future extension of the Bishop Road and Mine, which closed down almost uh, exactly 30 years ago. So um, had that continued, <laughs> that's, uh, we, we have a, a product of life and life of 21 years. Had that continued, um, it would have been mined today. So it's war. Why did that Bishop, um, Bishop Road and Mine close? I mean, what was the, what the, kind of the, the surroundings? circumstances for that post it goes back to post reunification and there were um, and without getting political um and going over the uh, the um, i think problematic and very uh, deep scar that it's caused in terms of history uh 
almost all the East German potash production was closed down overnight, except one mine, which is still in Cape Plus S today. Everything else was closed down. So an industry that was employing four and a half thousand people into the early nineties, uh, overnight was closed. And so you have from, you have a, you know, that's 30 years ago. That's when I graduated that there, there's still, um, an enormous amount of confusion and support because they, they felt that the mines should have continued operating. Um, so one of the reasons for taking this opportunity is because it is essentially a, a brownfield project. It's, um, it's an extension of what would have been, uh, um, mined, say. Were those closures, closures because they were effectively state-run uh, operations? And like Britain in the 1980s with the coal mines, just the, the, the government wanted to kind of um, privatise and uh, re... Perhaps they were uncompetitive because they were state-run and it was a decision to kind of rip the plaster off, perhaps without thinking through all of the consequences. I, I think... The, the parallels are certainly there, and um, you know it was extremely political. Uh, when you look at the East German and West German production, they were comparable, they were significant. Uh, I couldn't tell you uh, in, in terms of the uh, delivered costs or operating costs of, of those businesses, but there was a lot of, um, over the years, uh, small players that became integrated into larger players, and uh, you know, without getting into the politics of um, what BASF and the government did, and um, uh, and subsequently what became K plus S, um, yeah, I think the parallels to uh, British coal industries is is, uh, is not dissimilar. But um, the fact being that you know you you're in a completely different space in terms of commodity and uh, very very much one that's needed, especially when you talk about food security in this day and age, uh, which is uh, it's. it's it's an easy concept to understand for for the average person on the street. When you talk about uh, the boxes being ticked, let's go back to the scoping study. Um, the, the geology, you, um, your resource is, um, you've got 338 million tonnes um, of resource and you're planning a 20-year uh, a, a mine life, 21-year mine life on it to produce 1 million tonnes of muriate of potash. How much rock do you have to mine to get to the 1 million tonnes um, um, on an annual basis? Well, look, the, the grade the is 13.5% uh, uh, for Ongeberger. So um, the throughput um, will end up being 4.5 million tonnes per annum. Um, now, um, the, the beauty... Uh, when I talk about the, the, the risk boxes being ticked, the beauty is that normally you don't know what's in the ground. You don't know uh, what actually you're going to get once you get into the ore body. In this occasion, you we know very well the geology. With the mining has been performed for over 100 years, so that's tried and tested. The processing, the two institutions that came out and became private companies that are, you know, preeminent authorities on uh, the processing of potash and the mining of potash are Cavey Tech and Urquist Plant. Our office, uh, which we didn't have 12 months ago in Enfield, is in the same historic building as Urquist Plant. Cavey Tech is uh, literally a stone's throw away from where we operate. So we have all that embedded knowledge. Um, so all that risk, you know, just last week we announced the, uh, we took bulk samples from 800 meters underground. 
um, five tons of it. No other project would be able to achieve that if it wasn't for the ex existing infrastructure and all mined out areas. So we are cooperating with our neighbor to go on the ground. They allow us access and go down the shaft, two declines, 800 meters, and we take five tons of material. Nowhere else can you possibly... Um, so, so is the is the shaft that you that you can access? Um, that that's the, so, so the shaft that you you went down. That's something you can access. But it, presumably, you're going to have a new uh, shaft for taking out four and a half million tons, rather than using the kind of the roundabout route that you kind of went in at. Yeah, the the, the base case, as per the scoping study on August eighth last year, was very much uh, a greenfield option. Um, but we know there are there is existing infrastructure elsewhere that could be used. Um, but the base case, the 620 million uh, capex, uh, US dollars capex is uh, including two shafts, one uh, one for hoisting, one for ventilation. But uh, as I said, uh, the opportunity exists uh, with existing infrastructure to access the ore body. Um, and um, yeah, we have a very, we have a, a unique neighbor they produce um, hundred thousand tons or from it's a solution miner, uh, hundred thousand tons of MOP per per year, year into potash. Uh, it's unique because it's um, they're they're mining the conlite, not the silvernite or the beaver normally mine, um, and uh, they're also they're big from dual business model. They also backfill um, industrial waste, so um, that is a functioning very well-run operation next door to us. So we, we've had access to We had a good relationship with them as a mate. Goodness, so, so many questions to jump up. One is, um, did you consider, you know, uh, I, I, and I know that you joined after the scoping study was completed, but uh, has the company considered um, duplicating their model of solution mining the carnalite and backfilling uh, industrial waste? It's, 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 pretty, it's pretty niche. Um, I mean, it's, um, as I said, it's unique. We don't know anywhere else that does it from carnalite. Uh, and it's it's more scale um, by their own vision. You know, it's um, anywhere between eighty to hundred thousand tons per annum. Um, so um, it, it's not a it's not a game changer if, if you want to. Um, I, I don't know any um, extremely large scale solution miners. Uh, or, you know, when you look at some of the North American producers, they're all um, much smaller scale. But um, so no, uh, we're very much focused on Plan A. Um, is mining the silvernite. Um, you know, we think the, the, the potash market is extremely attractive. Um, it's, uh, it's obviously a, an oligopoly. Um, and you know, the 17 million tons per annum or so, uh, our 1 million ton will fit in nicely into the market because we are in the marketplace at the end of the day. Sorry, um, did you say 70 million tons? 70. Yeah. yeah. Um, just just on the on the on the capex uh you've got the, the, the total capex of 620 million more or less in the scoping study uh about 110 of that is contingency in gna um so let's do kind of rough rough figures it's about 500 million dollars of which um 170 is linked to the the mine and 340 odd is linked to the um uh, linked to the plant. Am I right in inferring that you you will be looking at lower cost mining capex options, which is to access, may perhaps start the 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 operation using a uh, using the existing infrastructure to to perhaps to uh, offset the upfront capital cost so that you can get started on the existing infrastructure, and then when you need to ramp up 
um, look at uh, putting in the new shafts? Look, I think um, that we, we have to control what's uh, within our control uh, and manage what um, the, the elements that are within our parameters, let's say. So um, that that's all good stuff. What, what we have to focus on is, you know, will the market think that $620 million is too much upfront capex. I happen to think that, you know, when you look at, um, and of course I'm talking my own book, but uh, when you look at the various projects around the world, the capital intensity is significantly high. Um, I mean, of course, Janssen is an anomaly. They'd spent 5 billion US dollars before they gave the green light to go ahead with the project. So this is, it's unique, right? <laughs> Uh, so Jamsa is, is, is a unique beast, um, so it's not totally comparable. But when you look at other uh, at other opportunities that have um, have been converted um, geographically, I think our capital intensity is uh, is significantly even even if the numbers were to deviate, it's still within the norms and uh, acceptable um, uh, margins uh, of. of um, competition if you like it's a competitive capital intensity so um i think uh you know the, the opportunity exists to do perhaps what highfield is doing but our base case is very much one one million tons per annum goes straight into the economics are better that way but if the hurdle of the capex is too great when it comes to funding the company then of course we can look at the phased approach um, the 500,000 tons primal and then another 500,000. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you're, you're kind of touching on the, on the nub of the, the issue here is that you've got a, a project with a nice NPV. Um, I mean, a, a, a very nice NPV and you, yet the company is, uh, trading at, uh, $20 million Aussie today at the moment. Uh, really you're in an exercise of kind of, um, how, how does a, how does an ant eat an elephant, really? Or kind of how do you, how do you kind of that that that's your job, isn't it? Pretty much, uh, and that's that's the challenge. You're right. And look, it's a it's a 1.3 billion post tax NPV uh, at an eight percent discount rate, which probably you know, when it comes to financing this project, I, I dare say that the the cost of capital will be less than eight percent in a G in a G seven country. Um, there's going to be uh, all sorts of funding available to us, uh, not just commercial banks. I think. So um, you're right. Uh, it is a, a, an ant eating an elephant. Uh, I think that um, what we have to do is just focus on the basics. We will deliver before the year year end a rock solid pre feasibility study plus minus twenty percent accuracy. And there are a lot of studies out there um, that profess to be a PFS or, or even a definitive feasibility study that have a lot of holes. So. We have appointed Hatch uh, to lead that to work with KU Tech and Ecos Plan. So we we have total confidence that by the end of this year, which is not that far away, we'll have a solid um, pre feasibility study that I think will get the the, the attention that it deserves. Um, as you say, the ant eating the elephant. So we have to repeat the message time and time again until. Uh, the investor base understands what we have. Um, now, we are we are uh, um, following. You know, if you'd said to me ten years ago, "What's my blueprint for getting this thing financed?" 
my blueprint would have been what Highfield had done with um, EMR Capital um, because they took away any debate about how are you going to fund this. Um, and then the biggest issue for them has become seven, eight years of permitting. Now, let's talk about the permitting because permitting is key whichever jurisdiction you go to. Um, what we have uh, and what demonstrates our ability to work with the authorities, we have one single local authority. There's no federal approvals. So we are in constant contact with the authority, with, which is the Thuringian TLUBN. Um, we had a meeting three weeks ago to kick off the um, environmental impact assessment. And there are no red flags. There's any constructive dialogue. So we know what the permitting is uh, uh, and we will follow those steps to ensure that we do it on a, on a timely basis. So permitting is, is key wherever you go. But in our case, we know there are um, four, four stages of approval, which is the regional and spatial planning procedure. Um, that'll be done in 12 months' time when we submit our EIA. Uh, and then we go to step two um, with the TLUBN. And uh, step, step three is the approval of the main operating plan. Um, or you go for a more specific special operating plan which doesn't require um you know regular approval so um we, we, our, our, our ungerberger flagship project has a perpetual mining license which is historical so i was going to ask about that because um it, it, you've recently covered the, had this three-year extension on three exploration licenses and you've got some licenses which are uh, permanent mining licenses how much of the project lies within the exploration license and how much with um which you've got another three years on um at least and how much lies within the uh the the permanent mining lease well um so you're you're right so we have three three perpetual licenses um which are historical so um, uh, the only approvals are the ones that i i just mentioned in terms of permitting the others are exploration permits so um Kulstead and Grefenturnen. Uh, with the two that were recently renewed. And to give you an idea um, of, the, of the efficiency of the process, um, we submitted, for both of those, we submitted to ask for the extension, um, and within less than one calendar month, the extension had been granted. Now, I've worked in many jurisdictions, <laughs> uh, first world, third world, uh, developing country, whatever you, whatever you want to look at, and I don't know any jurisdiction where that's happened. So it demonstrates A, the willingness, B, the dialogue and the relationship uh, and that they want uh, these opportunities uh, which were brought to the company and um, via three tenders. So the Grafton Turner and Kulstede demonstrate the relationship with the authorities. The other three have uh, perpetual mine license. As you said, um, Ongerberger has 338 million tons. We have a total historical resource of 5.3 billion tons. Um, so we're, we're just talking about a small percentage of, of the entire, uh, ability, um, of the, um, of the inherent value, uh, that's in the ground, uh, the rest. On which license would the first, uh, stage of the operation be? On Gaboba, on Gaboba. Um, so that'd be, uh, the, uh, the, the flagship and, uh, the one that has 13 and a half percent, um. Gotcha. Okay. So that's, that's one of your, um, 
That's one of your perpetual mining licenses. Leases. Yes, correct. Right, gotcha, understood. What's what's the just just while you've been talking, I've been thinking. I wonder what the history of, of this is. You know, how how long has this project been uh, worked on by the team? Because you talked about the local dialogue. I mean, obviously, you've got some uh, a part. A partially local team that has got a, a lot of history with it. But um, when has this incarnation of the company um, or, or the project been put together? And what project then company? So the company predates the project, as often is the case uh, in, our, in our sector. Um, but 2017, which um, is a long time before I joined, so 2017 is... Um, when the tender took place and the licenses were um, acquired in a competitive tender. Um, so uh, the company used to be called Davenport Resources and more recently in the last two to bit years took on the local uh, name, which I think is far more apt uh, in terms of um, ethnic meaning. So we have um, South Hearts Potash is the Australian listed, but below that we have 100% owned um, the Sweethearts Cali, which is the local operating company. So that's what uh, locally it's known as uh, in Germany. Uh, 12 months ago, we didn't have a team on the ground. We had one geo. We had uh, a CMO that um, uh, was overseas. We had a CEO that was overseas. Um, and uh, we didn't have an in-country in team. Now we have an in-country team. In December, we opened uh, a local tiny office um in where the where the uh licenses are in um yeah literally uh now i was gonna give you the other name but it, it doesn't matter right now i'll, I'll remember it but um we're in the local office um in december we had dignitaries mayors local business people and we had the brass band from the old mining uh brass band in their uniforms we had everybody supporting us uh, and our little office Locally, in, uh, um, it's not Kushal, name's gold from my head. Um, on a little local in is it the old, what used to be the mine hospital before the mine was closed? And upstairs, you've got this wonderful museum from the geology all the way through production to mine closure. There's a wealth of information and knowledge um, that's there. So, um, um, yeah, so we're we're in the heart of it. Um, we've got a team locally. Uh, we have a new COO uh, in Lawrence Bertlett to join on first of January. Lawrence um, uh, spends fifty percent of the time uh, in country. Um, he's a Canadian, um, and you know, more recently he was head of mining for uh, Eurochem, um, pre pre invasion of the Ukraine, of course, and uh, life has become more difficult for. Um, foreign nationals working in those companies. So, uh, Lawrence, we were very lucky to see you out. Um, serendipitous, in, in fact, to, to to be at the stage where we could bring him into the company. Uh, initially, he joined as a, a non-exec and um, we became CIO. And before that, he he has a wealth of experience in potash. He, uh, he's been an operator with Agrium. Um, he delivered the K3 expansion in Saskatchewan for Mosaic which was a 2.9 billion US dollar project, delivered that ahead of time on budget. So we've got a, a, a mine builder as COO. Um, and uh, he's also done EPCM. So he was the head of uh, SMC Labland's office in Saskatchewan. And so he's seen every project. So for me, it's, a, it's an endorsement having him join as COO. 
and that he's inside the tent, he can really see the opportunity for what it is and in, in, in the ability to convert it and to develop it. So we've been changed the entire complexion of the team and, and the company. Thank you. That's, that's really helpful and really useful to know. Um, just coming back to the, the, the work plan for this year and the, and the PFS that you're, that you're doing. As you know, scoping studies are, kind of, uh, are, are normally, Wee, this is what it might be. Um, and in the PFS, this is when you, that's when you really have to start kind of digging into the numbers and looking at the trade-off studies and uh, trying to work out what is the optimum size, um, what is the, the, the best fit project that will then be studied for a in in the feasibility stage can you give me some indication of um the 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 the, the key areas that you'll be looking at uh, as the components of the pfs during the course of this year um how long do you have <laughs> um, i think uh look uh the base case is what it is um i think the, of course there are opportunities to optimize the base case uh, so when I talk about the base case, we're still looking at 1 million ton per annum throughput of product um, and 4.5 million tons that need to be hoisted. Um, the blueprint for this is we want to create uh, a, the lowest carbon footprint uh, operation there is. And, and that's totally achievable for multiple reasons. Number one, um, uh, as I said, there are no unknown factors here. Uh, no unknown quantities. Um, we have committed to having no permanent stockpiles um, because the company is going to be producing two tons of uh, salt as a byproduct. Um, so uh, we have to create enough void space either from existing operate, either from our own operations or from existing old mine workings. We have to backfill. Uh, the material to ensure that we um, we commit to um, um, the lowest impact mining possible. So that, that's that's absolutely key. So the focus has to be not only uh, the economics and um, and how we make this work uh, to get the best uh, return for shareholders, NPV uh, and IRR, which is already you know if it stays where it is, it's already a, a phenomenal project. Um, but essentially, we have to think about low, no effluent into local water, which is very topical in Germany with the scale of the potash industry historically and no permanent stockpiles. So we're, we're investigating as part of all those streams, we have to think about what is achievable with existing infrastructure. Uh, now, part of the planning is going hand in glove with the EIA and the PFS, whereas in other jurisdictions, you might do a PFS and a DFS and then go to the authorities and say, okay, we, this is where we're going to um, plan to build a, a, a mine a processing plant. This is where we're going to convey left, right, and center. This is different. All, all those discussions for the spatial planning happened up front. So we are we already looking at uh, three optimal areas. We're already doing the, um, the, the fauna and flora studies uh, as we speak. So actually, if the stock's knowing, we'll be able to carry on. This clapping. So, um, so we we we've already identified that. So those are the key workshops that have to fit in. So it's optimal. Um, so 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 in in a, in a sense, once you've identified kind of your 
the th three sites and had that conversation with the local authorities, you can start uh, putting the detail on the scheduling and the costs and the and the, and the operating implications uh, of having those sites and the and the resource where it is. Yeah, and some of those trade-off studies that you're talking about, um, you know, we're we're doing now. So um, we 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 kickstarted that. Uh, at speed um, in the last uh, five to six weeks. One of the big global themes, of course, at the moment is an energy transition and energy security. And Germany, um, from the outside, it looks as if Germany's making some pretty crazy moves, um, closing down its nuclear plants, firing up coal power, fire generation. And of course, they've reconfigured their LNG um, sourcing over the last 12 months. And they've done an extraordinarily quick job of that. However, from the outside, it still seems as if German energy security is is quite um, fragile. And there are indications that BASF is closing down fertilizer plants. And, you know, that's that's kind of um, dramatic uh, voices on on social media talking about the kind of the deindustrialization of, of, of Germany, um, <laughs> uh, which, of course, is perhaps over the top. You know, what percentage is of your cost base or your operating cost is going to be energy related? And does it concern you that BASF or that the, the fertilizer production has had to close down this year? Of course, the, uh, the, the, the power generation costs, we've been monitoring that very closely. And it's going to form, um, we'll have a much better view of that at the end of the PFS. Um, I can't hand on heart tell you today what potentially the cost is going to be but there isn't if you've been asking me this question um in august the 8th last year when the scoping study was over it's a completely different landscape so we accept the fact that there are there has been an increase in cost but that's going to be level across the board yes germany has secured um uh what we're likely to see the right level of energy at the right cost or may look retrospectively um, prohibitive uh, compared to others. But it secured it, it, clo it closed it off, uh, and it, it did the right thing at the right time for, for Germany. Um, so I think, you know, for, for us, um, there'll be a, a, some normality when we're delivering the PFS, and there'll be even more normality and more uh, the, the market would have settled down when we're dealing with the DFS come uh, 18 months' time. So we'll have a better understanding of what the energy impact is going to be. I can't tell you today uh, it's going to be 22% or, or 5%. But, well, but the world has adjusted. Uh, policies have changed for energy. Um, nuclear is now back on the agenda across the board in uh, a number of countries. Um, not, uh, not really in Germany yet, but they're, they're, I hope really they'll Germany, come around to it. But it's 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 moving. You know, the world has looked at energy in a different way. Not only energy, but mining in a different way. So it has to it has to look at self sufficiency. You know, we're we're living in, we're living on this little island called Great Britain, which is becoming less great by the minute. Uh, but uh, you know, energy on the continent is is normalizing and what was the norm um six seven months ago with the spike uh, in gas prices and energy prices is is not really visible now um, we you know talking to our neighbor we know the impact that have on their small-scale operations and their ability to um adjust to that 
uh, meant you know closing the plant down for two weeks uh, and, and running off stock. So um, of course it had an impact, but only only for a period of time. Of course it's going to impact your 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 bottom line profit. So. <laughs> Well, um, as you say, well, hopefully we'll get more clarity on the long-term prices um, as 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 time progresses. Um, you mentioned earlier that if you were financing or, or building Highfield seven or ten years ago, seven or eight or nine or ten, I can't remember how many years ago you said, but you said that you can understand why they did what they did with um, uh, EMR Capital. And uh, what's what's your kind of approach now? Or is it too early to say? Are you just going to kind of focus on the PFS at the moment before you can consider? financing options or um or even start thinking about the kind of the landscape uh i did mention that that blueprint uh, from 10 years ago would have been a, would have been a good one you're right so I, I kind of led you to this to this question it's the key question for any any developing company we're not an average developer you know we don't have results from the drill bit uh coming out every other month uh to excite investors we're not a, a precious metals company we were um uh, uh, falling somewhere, as I've been told multiple times, you know, between mining and between uh, the the chemical uh, side of things. So, um, and the scoping study was the first stage to really show people um, how serious the project is. The PFS will be the next stage where um, we're able to really um, hang our hat on on the numbers that are going to be delivered with certainty. Um, plus minus twenty percent. Um, so, whatever opportunity comes along the way uh, that uh, provides the best value for shareholders, then that's what we look at. And uh, I think we have to get in front of all the players um, and demonstrate that this is a real project. That we've got real people on the ground. We've got real people that are wanting to build this. And very importantly, um, from a social perspective, we've got. Uh, the support of uh, local communities to, that want to see this back in production, but are still bemused why it closed 30 years ago. So all the elements are there. Um, we have to um, talk from, you know, every rooftop, every mountaintop, whatever, uh, get the message across, reiterate the message. And there's no substitute to the results, but um, we're not an atypical resource development company uh, by virtue of the fact that um, each borehole is um, 750 meters deep and costs uh, two point something million euros. <laughs> will you have? And um, what's the news flow between now and the PFS? I mean, will you be able to produce um, uh, kind of snippets or kind of updates d during the course of the year? Yeah, as, as you know, catalysts uh, can be few and far between uh, when you're at the study phase. Um, so yes, I think um, uh, permitting milestones. Um, I think um, the EIA, uh, the advancement of. Um, uh, of what we're doing on the ground with with the communities, so certainly um, there will be there will be news flow. Um, of course, um, uh, as I mentioned, it's not uh, as though we have a press release every week like a precious metals company that uh, has got multiple properties. But um, you know, we're looking forward to um, very much deliver a solid study uh, by year end. Well, Louis, thank you very much for the introduction to the company. I've learned a, a huge amount about the company in a very short space of time. And I look forward to following your progress uh, d during the course of the year. Keep us updated. We will do. And uh, thanks for having me on.